This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And here we are once again with another Grassroots Marketing on CannabisRadio.com. And joining me right now is the CEO and co-founder of a company who has the mission of providing the best, highest quality, dependable, and timely cannabis testing and analytical services. I'm here with founder, co-founder and CEO of Bill Costa Labs, Myron Ronate. Myron, thanks for being on with us. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about having the discussion today. You bring yourself into the lab space, but before that, you... Managed sales executives for a company where you were vice president of business development and you dealt with acquisition strategy, integration of numerous business units, and now you're in labs. You're doing, which obviously is a very uh, expansive space. We, we definitely need the help when it comes to compliance, when it comes to having quality testing out there and going through all the various methods that are out there. We need more of that going on. Talk to me about the transition of getting yourself into this space and what uh, what prompted you to go ahead and make that transition. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always was an entrepreneur at heart. I worked in big corporate America. And when Prop 64 passed in California, mm-hmm. I was always a big fan of cannabis and wanted to look at ways to enter the market. I'm a believer in the medicinal benefits and all kinds of benefits on both the recreational and medicinal side. So when that happened, I saw this as an opportunity to enter a brand new industry that's never existed before. And from my background more in the supply chain management, I thought I would go down the path of working, doing some kind of third party logistics or supply chain. But when California said everybody can vertically integrate, essentially self-distribute their own products, and third-party distribution wasn't required for cannabis like it is for alcohol. When that happened, I looked at the other areas within the cannabis supply chain. And with my legal background and my, you know, in-depth ability to really, you know, care about quality, clean products, I looked at lab testing. Oregon had just gone recreational. There were 19 labs there and a three-month backlog when they went recreational in testing. So from there, I really wanted to look at California's opportunities for lab testing. Uh, I remember the early days, I called 60 different city attorneys within two hours of my house and just trying to find a city that would let any cannabis business even come into their city. I begged them. I said, I just want to start a testing lab. I just want to be public health and safety. And I would literally get hung up on by city attorneys in the space. And finally, Long Beach had some existing regulations. We were able to get into the city. We found a a zone that worked out for us. And we were able to start as one of the first cannabis testing labs in Southern California. Now, 
with California, and there's always been a criticism going back to 2016. I can always hear people without naming names about people that felt like with California, the testing standards were always subpar. Obviously, with such a large state and with a lot of cultivators and producers out there, they wanted to keep the barrier at a level that would be, I don't know if it's if it's borderline or if it's acceptable, but everybody's always worried about yeast, mold, bacteria, uh, different areas, of different methods of, of the process. And there's always that part, but there's never been a universal testing standard. And, I mean, obviously, we've talked to other labs out there here on Blunt Business on Grassroots Marketing about the level of testing that's out there. And when you look at, if you had to say there were a couple, maybe two or three things, you absolutely have to have that when you are going to get your product tested, what are the, what are three standard bears that need to be met that every state should have and that every company should should have when they're testing their product what should they expect the standards that what are what expectations should they have yeah absolutely i think that for for standards across the board not just california if you look at california we test 66 pesticides many states have the same amount some a few more and some a few less some weren't even testing pesticides but it's very important in my opinion to have strict pesticide testing for cannabis products because you are lighting and inhaling this product. It is being processed typically through the lungs and not through the stomach that can handle a lot more pesticide consumption. So the first thing I would say is pesticide requirements being stringent. I think California has some of the strictest pesticide requirements out there would be the first thing I say that's most important. Uh, the second thing would be heavy metal content as well. California tests for four heavy metals. Other states like Michigan test for seven. Um, and I think metal content within cannabis, cannabis itself as a plant is a bioaccumulator. It sucks up anything that you put in the ground with it. So if it's in soil or there's some problem in that soil or you're getting um, cocoa, for example, that has cadmium in it, the plant is going to suck it up and you are going to then ingest it as a user. So having... Heavy metals testing is key as well. And uh, the, you know, microbial testing, which you're talking about, that total yeast yeah. and mold, right? So so this is a, a challenging area within testing. They're, the standardization, every state is very different, what they require, how they require you to test it. There are many different platforms to test it on. Uh, but cannabis with aspergillus, which is the main aspect that we're looking for, is known to have a issue if a person consumes it that has a weak immune system. And so testing, nobody wants to ingest mold, but there's, there's mold in the air that you breathe every single day. So having a more uniform aspergillus and mold testing platform across the country would definitely benefit everybody. And, you know, if you look at what drives and what creates mold, it's humidity levels, it's uh, temperature and the reality is we have that all around us. So growing a plant indoor or outdoors is very challenging. There's mold everywhere. It's how to best manage it, but it shouldn't be pervasive throughout an entire grow. Right. <clears throat> it's compliance. It's all about that part. And really, I, I think about the fact of how 
There's still not enough of a priority, I think, that's being put on compliance. I mean, listen, if you want to make sure that the industry can be self-policed without any kind of intervention from outside sources and let these third parties do what they're doing best, then there need to be people that really put the time and effort to go ahead and find a lab service like yours to really go ahead and keep everything above water. But I don't think there's that emphasis has still not been reached yet. What do you think? So in general, cannabis has gotten exceptionally more difficult over the last, I'd say, 12 months, especially in California. Um, other states are still building, you know, they're still newer. They still are on the upswing and, and allowing dispensaries. But the last 12 to 24 months of California cannabis has been exceptionally difficult. And the pricing bottoming out, too many licenses, the potency issues, the testing issues, there, there, and the lack, honestly, it, in my opinion, it boils down to the lack of dispensaries being allowed in cities. You still have almost 80% of cities within California that don't allow dispensaries. Well, that makes it pervasive for the traditional market to be able to go in and open up a store. And I was talking to a consumer yesterday and they walked into three stores. They had no idea if they were legal or illegal. They happened to be, when they told me what city they were in, I happened to know that that city doesn't even allow dispensaries. So all those dispensaries were illegal traditional market dispensaries and, and that consumer had no idea. Yeah. And so, so California and other states, they need to help. They have other states need to require that they allow and require dispensaries in every city. Uh, it should be treated just like a liquor store is treated. It shouldn't be, you know, locked out of a certain location. The consumer has to know and should be aware that these cities allow dispensaries or don't make it well known and that they're going to be buying at a legal a buying a legal product because that's the only way they know that it's being tested, that it's safe to consume. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Now, a few weeks, a few, a few uh, about a month and a half back, I spoke with the folks at BioMaryU and Maria McIntyre, head of cannabis safety operations. You know, I'm like, you're talking about a 50-year-old company that's done a lot of work in terms of microbiology and just where they come to the cannabis space. And one of the areas that we spoke extensively about was the issues of molds, specifically aspergillus, and the risk it can create to the cannabis supply chain and cause detriment to brands. And <coughs> more has been talked about that. Uh, there was an article on Mycology 101 from Cannabis Science and Technology talking about uh, where species of the genera aspergillus, penicillium, and rhizopus were associated with cannabis plant diseases and stability after harvesting and storage. And because of this fungal pathogen presence, for those that might be immunocompromised, com immunocompromised and they're ingesting inhaling smoking the product and if there's any of those kind of molds that are in there and they get passed through the inspection process the the fact that that mold contamination can affect the whole supply chain loss of product product being burned and destroyed 
it's that constant reminder of the dangers if compliance isn't met. So when you look at stories like this where aspergillus has been an issue, that level of mold and how deadly or how threatening it could be to business, also to people's livelihoods, is that something that you do quite a bit of focus here at Bell Costa Labs? We are heavily focused on aspergillus and really helping our clients that have aspergillus issues overcome those problems, right? So the challenge with aspergillus is as a lab, let's in California, for example, and I'll talk about other states too. In California, the match, the max batch size of flour is 50 pounds. Mm -hmm. uh, the re state requirements are for labs to take 0.35% of that batch, which on a 50 pound batch is about 80 grams. And so that's still 50 pounds and I'm taking 80 grams. I, now I homogenize that all together. I, I try to combine it all to try to find that aspergillus. And then after that, after I homogenize it all together for aspergillus testing, the state requires us to test one gram. So it goes 50 pounds down to a homogenized dust particle, basically of, of uh, 80 grams down to my at lab taking one gram sample. So we're hoping in that, that we find it, but there's still 50 pounds in many states that the batch sizes are hundred pounds. Some states, I think like Nevada has five or 10 pound batches. So they're much smaller, but on the states that have a large batch size, 50 to hundred pounds, it's still a needle in a haystack to find that aspergillus. And it is still an agricultural crop that grows in the environment, whatever environment's growing in. So be, and once we test it in California, for example, we could test it before it's even packaged. So aspergillus can come in after the packaging. Aspergillus can become, can grow when it's stored improperly in the dispensary. If it's stored in the heat, if there's too much humidity, if there's too much moisture mm -hmm. in there. There are so many ways for aspergillus to grow, which so which is why I'm also a proponent of having shorter shelf lives for cannabis for ongoing testing. California requires a batch to be tested every 12 months. I hope on an agricultural crop, we're turning it more than once every 12 months. Um, and we don't see a lot of that testing, but it is out there as well. And it really comes down to storage conditions, the condition of the product, the packaging, there's so many factors that go into it. It's, it's so difficult. No. I want to take from a story from MJ Biz Daily that you were quoted on about how cannabis testing labs help put undue focus on THC potency. And when they asked you, you had mentioned that you had warned against pushing too hard for terpenes to be the main quality indicator and that you'd like to see product labels offer more information about terpene profiles. And you said, quote, are people going to spray extra terpenes on their flour? Are labs going to have incorrect terpene profiles? There's a lot of risk inherent in the whole industry. And I want to ask you if you want to expand on that, just for the fact that um, that obviously there should be more things put on the bottle, more things in terms of not necessarily safety measures, but more about what you're getting in your product. So my team, uh, with the help of a brand, did a little round-robin study where we blind sampled about uh, 10 cannabis products with 15 different people and without telling them the potency, the terpene content, and we asked them to kind of rate the cannabis. And what we've started digging into and uncovering is what we call the potency to terpene ratio. So we know that potency is important, but it really all, but terpenes are are also 
just as important, if not more important. Unfortunately, with the lack of time to study and medical, do real medical studies with terpenes, we know ancillary effects and, and annotations about what terpenes do and how they affect people. So over time, I can definitely see this improving. But what we're looking at is what we believe a tighter potency to terpene ratio. Now, again, potency matters. So a 10% flower with a 1% terpene ratio, the 1% of terpenes would be the same as like a 30 to 3. So there is a factor that we're trying to uncover and figure out exactly where that sweet spot is. But what we found is the tighter ratio coupled with the product is what's important. And when I talked about terpenes on MJ Biz, on MJ Biz, what I what I really want to be aware of is we we don't need people to go out and spray terpenes. If you go grow quality product, you're going to have a high terpene content. We should be looking at that terpene content. We should be right. labeling the terpene content. And we definitely don't need things entering the market to confuse consumers. In mm-hmm. fact, one of my biggest beliefs on fixing the potency issue is really what if we just stop labeling potency on the label, still test it, but stop labeling it for consumers for a period of time, a year or two. And then we have to sell on something else. But what are we selling on? In the old days, we could go into a dispensary and they would hand you a jar and you'd be able to smell the flower, be able to look at it. But post-COVID, I've been in dispensaries and they they show you a jar, but they won't even hand it to you to touch or look at or get a closer look at. So, you know, with bud tender turnover and challenges in that space, the only thing they can go off is selling potency. And that's really not going to give the consumer the best effects. There's so much more. Is it sun grown? Is it indoor? What are the genetics? What, you know, of the terpenes that are most prevalent in it? What are those effects? Is it sedative? Is it energetic? Um, is it high, have high THCV maybe, uh, which is more energetic? I mean, what are the sub compounds, the sub cannabinoids present there? There's so many things to talk about except just potency. And so when I said, I don't want them to just talk about terpenes, it's more to, I want to make sure that the industry doesn't flip from one challenging aspect of potency to the next challenging aspect of terpenes. But I do want the industry to focus on terpenes because it gives the consumer the best effects. Thank you for doing the yeoman's work. I really do appreciate you taking time out to go ahead and let us know more about this because it's, it's crucial. It's very important. We get more information about this and hopefully we get a universal standard out there and that more companies will realize, look, I mean, all these MSOs, you're worrying about acquisitions, you're worrying about finding other products or other ways to kind of cut corners. You know, that, that, that compliance has to be so crucial and key and that we cannot just rely on the betters of these state control boards to police. They already have enough problem just trying to control the illicit market, let alone the illegal market. So, again, I'm here with the CEO of Bell Costa Labs. The website is bellcostalabs.com, B-E-L-C-O-S-T-A, Labs. And for those, especially in California, if they'd like to go ahead and work with you, how can they learn more and what they should they do once they go to the website? Yeah, they can reach out to us through the website. We are happy to conduct bud tender trainings. Again, that that's key for us to help the con- pass knowledge along to the consumer that's not all about potency. So we'll conduct pot- uh, bud tender trainings on any clients that have known aspergillus or pesticide problems. We're able to help identify those issues and help solve where they're coming from. We have over five years of experience in this space, which in grand scheme of things seems 
pretty small, but we've been through a lot in California and we can help solve a lot of problems. So I encourage anybody who has any issues to reach out to us with questions and we can help solve them. Fantastic. So really appreciate you being on the show with us here. Myron, thanks for being on again. Myron Rone with Bill Costa Labs. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.